obviously from the sermon bumper. Uh, you can tell we are in a sermon series entitled Immersed. Immersed, and we're just going to pick up where we left off. Um, in the very first sermon, we're in part five today. In the very first sermon, we just kind of went over generally uh, the works of the Holy Spirit, the essential works of the Holy Spirit. Then in the next sermon, we went to the book of Galatians, and we've kind of camped out there in the book of Galatians because there's so much good teaching about the Holy Spirit in the book of Galatians. If you guys will put that first slide up there for me, we'll use it as a teaching tool. You can see three things, the challenge, the command, and the conflict. The challenge, the command, and the conflict. Now let's talk about those three things very quickly. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul looks at the church at Galatia, and he says to them, guys, I see you drifting. I see you drifting. And we talk about drifting all the time in this church because drifting is something we as humans do very easily. And you always drift in which direction? The wrong direction. You never drift in the right direction. Now, I want you to know what Paul's talking about here. Paul had preached to this church in Galatia that they needed to leave the, the old way of doing things, the Old Testament economy, because now Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen from the dead. They are no longer under the law, the, but they are now under grace. So he taught that to them. They believed it and received Christ as their personal Savior. But after they had been serving Christ for a while, they began to drift back into Judaism. They began to drift back into uh, the practice of the old economy. And so Paul is coming to them, and he is saying to them, Hey, guys, you started in the Spirit. You started out in the Spirit. You started out depending on the Holy Spirit. You started out understanding that it was the Spirit of God in you, new economy. It was not, no longer an outward pressure, the law, but now it is an inward motivation because the Holy Spirit is in you. He said, you understood that. You started out great. He said, but now you're trying to live a successful Christian life in the flesh. He said, don't do that. Stop doing that. Why are you doing that? And so that's the challenge for us because we too drift. Now, we don't drift back into Judaism, but we drift back into depending upon self, depending upon self-effort. And God is challenging the bridge, and God is challenging me. And I hear that challenge today, and I accept that challenge. Pharaoh, don't drift back away from the dependence on the Spirit. Don't drift into a dependence on yourself. Depend on the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, which brings us to the next one, the command. He says, and I'll put myself there. You put yourself there. Listen, if you want to live victoriously as a Christian, if you want to live successfully as a Christian, if you want to overcome the lust of your flesh and, and have... Uh, victory as a child of God. You know, the Bible calls us overcomers. The Bible calls us more than conquerors. So Paul is saying, if you want to be an overcomer, if you want to be more than a conqueror, then you need to not depend on yourself, but walk in the Spirit. Saw some Wits t-shirts. Who's got their Wits t-shirt today? Okay, you can go out there and pick those up. We got them for you. And uh, the Wits, of course, W-I-T-S, walk in the Spirit. We talked about practical ways to remind yourself, to hold yourself accountable, to get up every morning and declare that I'm going to walk in the Spirit today. Because you know what? If you don't have a consciousness throughout the day that you are called to walk in the Spirit, you're going to drift in the wrong direction. So Paul says, walk in the Spirit, and if you will, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then he talks about the conflict. He says, the moment you decide to walk in the Spirit, the moment you decide to obey God, he said, you're going to get into a conflict because the Spirit of God that is in you is going to want to war with um, the flesh that is in you as well. And there's going to be a battle going on in there. There's going to be a conflict going on. And so we talked about those things in detail. I'm not going to re-preach those sermons. I would encourage you to go online. You can listen to them for free. If you'd like any of my sermon notes, all you have to do is email me at feral at bridgechurch.cc. 
and I will send you my notes. You can find me on Facebook. I'll send you my notes uh, to the message. Now, today what we want to do is we want to look at the fourth thing. We're going to call it the contrast, the contrast. And uh, Paul is going to draw a clear line of demarcation between the works of the Spirit and the, and the uh, um, or, or the uh, works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. There are two lists that Paul's going to give us. And Paul always used lists. If you'll notice in Paul's writings, uh, he used lists all the time. So he's going to list the works of the flesh, and that's what we're going to deal with today. We're going to look at the works of the flesh, and then next Sunday, we're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I love you guys so much, care so much about you, that I don't want you to be caught off guard by the sermon today. I want to tell you right off the bat, it's going to be hard to hear. There's going to be some stuff in this sermon today that's hard to hear. Because what I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about the potential that you have in your flesh if it is unrestrained by the Holy Spirit to take you into dark places you never thought you could go. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what Paul does in this passage of Scripture. He says to these people, in essence, if you'll let me paraphrase, he says, I want you to understand that there are depths of sin that you can get into. There are behaviors that you can get into if you are not restrained by the Holy Spirit, your flesh, uninhibited, will take you places that are very, very dark. One writer said it this way. He said, your flesh will take you further than you want to go. It'll leave you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you a lot more than you want to pay. This is a warning. The sermon today is a warning. Nobody's saying you're doing this. I, I don't know your lives. I don't know what you do in your lives. I don't think Paul knew all the details of the lives of the people he was talking to. I think what Paul was doing here, what I want to do this morning, if God will help me, is I want to warn you that your flesh, uninhibited by the Spirit, unrestrained by the Holy Spirit, is a dangerous, dangerous influence in your life. Again, taking you further than you thought you would go, leaving you longer than you thought you would stay, and costing you more than you want to pay. We want to talk today about the potential of the flesh to bring unspeakable pain into our life. The potential of the flesh to bring failure as we've never known it and devastation as we have never experienced it. So let's look directly into the Word of God today. Everybody look up on the screen or you can follow along with me. We're again in Galatians 5 and we're going to read verses 19 through 23. If you're out there today and you're ready for the word of God, give me an amen. amen. So Paul lists them. Paul says, now the works of the Spirit are manifest, which are these. Adultery. Gets right into it, doesn't he? Adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness. Lasciviousness. That's got to be a bad one right there. I mean, first time I ever saw that as a young boy, I thought, I don't even know what that means. That sounds terrible. It is. Verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Time out. Witchcraft and hatred are right next to each other. How about that? Variance. And we're going to look at each one of these today. I know you're excited. Emulations. And you're out there going, I've never emulated anybody. I promise, Pastor. I... Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. He ain't through. Go to the next slide. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do these things uninhibited, they which do these things habitually, they which do these things as a lifestyle, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
We'll look at that closer in a minute. Now let's look at something beautiful. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, will you say these with me? Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Okay? Y'all buckled up good? Let's go through these sins. <laughs> Sin number one, adultery. 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 Let's start with the fun ones. Adultery is, uh, comes to us from the uh, Greek word pornea, which is the word we get pornography from. It means illicit sexual conduct. It means marital infidelity. It means to lust for another person's spouse. Oh, by the way, I'd like to welcome all our visitors today. <laughs> it means when a married man or a married woman has romantic communications or contact, whether that romantic communication and contact is physical or verbal or emotional, or just with their eyes. You know, we think adultery hadn't started until there's been some physical contact. Wrong. Adultery is when you're unfaithful to your spouse with somebody else. And uh, I could just really get into this. Probably need to in the world we live in. If you're having lunch with somebody of the opposite sex and you kind of get a little um, tingle up your spine when you do that. You need to stop it. As a matter of fact, we don't even allow our staff to have meetings with somebody of the opposite sex without somebody else being in the, in the same area, in the same room. And so don't even ask for a meeting like that. Don't say, don't say Pastor Farrell, uh, I want to just meet with you and I don't want anybody else in the room. Um, we're probably going to have to have somebody else in the room. If you're, we will have to have somebody else in the room if you're of the opposite sex. Y'all hear me? Because uh, the flesh will take you where you don't want to go. Leave you where you don't want to. Uh, leave you longer than you thought you'd stay and cost you more than you thought you would pay. So can I just tell you that if you're flirting on your job or you're flirting with somebody across the backyard fence and you're kind of having some kind of emotional deal with somebody other than your spouse, I want to tell you something, that those are the seeds of adultery. They're the seeds of adultery. And um, uh, adultery is explicitly for, forbidden by God, clear in the Word of God, very clear. The next word is fornication. It means uh, sexual contact uh, between persons who are not married to each other. Uh, both of these words, fornication and adultery, deal with uh, giving in to illicit lust. Uh, it even deals with uh, when you dig into the original language and, uh, how, and the context in which it's in in these scriptures, it, it ad actually deals with provoking incest. Um, the next word is uncleanness. Now, now let me just pause and remind you, we're talking about traps you can fall into. Traps you can fall into. How, how many of you know somebody who you never dreamed would have fallen into, especially the fir first one I talked about, adultery? You, dream, you never would have dreamed they would ever have done anything like that, but they did do it. You know somebody like that? Sure you do. Sure you do. I mean, people who in ministry, people who are spiritual leaders, church leaders, can I tell you that doing religious stuff doesn't mean you're walking in the Spirit? Uncleanness. Um, I know you're out there going, man, I bathe regularly, so I know this one. <clears throat> uh, it means morally impure, evil, vile. The word abhorrent means unlikable. Catharsis is the root. Acatharsis means something that is unclean. Uh, this is sort of a gross description, but 
This word is used, was used in ancient times to describe the infection that would come from an unclean wound. This word refers to our thought life. This word refers to our thought life. It deals with the filth of the mind that leads to pornographic thoughts and conduct. Everybody all right? Number four is lewdness or lasciviousness. So buckle up for this one. <laughs> it means sensuality. It comes from the Greek word aselgia. Uh, it is a word that describes a person who shows no restraint in the area of sexuality. Now as I talk about this one, I want you to just think about our culture. I want you to just think about the culture we live in. I want you to think about how there was a time in my lifetime, and I'm a very young man, but there was a time in my life, no amens, just laughter. See, that, that hurts, that hurts. In my lifetime, when you could hide things from little eyes, you know what I'm saying, our little ones? But I want to tell you moms and dads out there, I don't care how hard you try in this culture. Those little eyes are going to see things they were never meant to see. They're going to hear things they were never, ever meant to hear. And if you as a parent are not walking in the Spirit and you can minister to your child... There are seeds that may be being sown into your child right now. That's why you got to walk in the Spirit because you are their protector. You are their guardian. This lewdness, this lasciviousness, you used to have to go into a back alley to find it. Now it's pumped right into your house through the Internet. It's pumped right into your house through uh, cable television. You better walk in the Spirit. You better be walking in the Spirit because we're in a war. We're in a battle. It refers again to a person who shows no restraint in the area of sexuality. This word lewdness or lasciviousness refers to the one who has gone so far in their lusts and so far in their desire that they could care less what anybody thinks. They don't hang their head anymore. That's one of the things about our cultures. Nobody is embarrassed anymore. There aren't any, there aren't any red faces anymore. And people who used to hide to do these things now come out in the open and parade down the streets and tell you that if you don't have the same opinion about it they have, that you're a bigot. In fact, this is the person uh, who parades his evil in front of everybody with no restraint. It means this word lewdness, um, uh, lasciviousness means promiscuity, to be promiscuous. You say, well, what does that word promiscuous means? Uh, mean? Here's what it means. It means not the act of fornication, but everything leading up to it. Let me tell you what it means. It means a skirt-chasing man. It means a woman being a tease. This word means to be improper in your actions and improper in your communications. This refers to those who go around scantily clad. Everybody all right? It refers to behavior that a person would engage in and they would engage in this behavior for the purpose of producing in another person impure thoughts or lustful thoughts and feelings about them. Did, did I make that clear? Uh, I'm, I'm about, I was about to say something and I'm, I'm standing here trying to decide if it's the Lord or the devil wanting me to say it. I love these that uh, go around half naked and then they're mad if you look. <clears throat> what you looking at? I'm looking at... 
lasciviousness. <laughs> the next one's idolatry, and some of y'all are going, Whew, thank God. I ain't got no idols in my house, you know. Oh, hold on, I haven't explained it yet. Let me tell you what idolatry is. And, and people can have this toward uh, sports stars. They can have it toward movie stars. They can, listen to me, they can have it toward religious leaders and church leaders, and we're seeing it happen. We are seeing church leaders, huge, huge church leaders in huge, huge churches. We're seeing them fall into sin, and we're seeing their congregation rise up and say, we don't care what he did, we want him back in the pulpit Sunday. Don't you let me do that. If I try to do that, I've lost my mind. Honestly, you guys need to lock me up in a room somewhere. But there are people in the world today who are so committed to their religious leader that they don't even see Jesus anymore. All they see is him or her, and they can do no wrong. Can I tell you something? I can do wrong, and I can fail. And when I do, I need people who love me enough to hold me accountable and hold my feet to the fire. Excessive adoration. Blind adoration. This word idolatry means to have reverence or devotion to anything other than God. This word idolatry means anything or anyone in your life that has taken God off the throne and now they are on the throne or that thing is on the throne. The sin of idolatry includes praying to saints and statues hoping that God will hear you through those saints or through those statues. This word idolatry does not simply mean worshiping an idol or an image. The word refers to worshiping anything other than the God of the Bible. Anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Listen to me. I'm about to get real narrow-minded on you. And the reason I want to use that word is because that's what the world uses to describe me and churches like ours. Any religious system, any system of doctrine that is not centered around the infallible, inerrant word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ as our one and only Savior is a false religion. And false religion is idolatry because it is not God. You say, that's way too narrow for me. Sorry. Got to preach the truth up in here. The next one is sorcery. Hey, you know what the, the Greek word for sorcery is? Pharmakia, which is the word we get pharmacy from or pharmaceuticals. <laughs> somebody, somebody just laughed. Somebody must work in a pharmacy. <laughs> uh, we're not talking about you guys. <laughs> how many of you know? How, how many of you know there are a lot of things in our life that are very good things until they're abused? When Pastor Andy got hurt, um, in in I was at home and they called me. First thing I did was go on Facebook. Do you know Facebook can be the most awesome thing to get people to God, get people um, of God together to do great things, or it can be used to cheat on your wife? It's what you make it. It's what you make it. And then I got on there and I saw all those people signing up, you know, and they were talking about what they are going to bring, and they did yard work at his house yesterday. And I want to tell you all, my knee's been hurting me. A lot. I just ain't said nothing about it. That sin's probably in here somewhere, I guarantee you, what I just did. <clears throat> Pharmakia. Um, this is brought up by Paul here because drugs were used in the ancient world as a common medium in the practice of magic and sorcery. I want you to listen to that. Being high, 
being intoxicated was connected to sorcery and witchcraft. You know why? Because when you're high, you're open. When you're high, when you're drunk, you're open to demonic influences in your life. Pharmacia is the Greek word. They would use drugs to induce euphoric states of consciousness. Matter of fact, uh, this practice goes on today in religions. They're false religions, but they do it under the guise of religion. Uh, and they would use drugs because they thought what it would do uh, would, uh, would elevate them into the world of the gods when they were high. I think when they woke up the next morning, they felt more like they were in hell. But right then... <clears throat> <laughs> I've never had a hangover, but the people I've seen have them sure looks rough. Uh, they altered their thinking by the use of drugs. They would mix it with sorcery. So sorcery deals with any kind of, listen to me now. Listen to me. I'm going to get up in your wheelhouse today. I see where people go, man, I've had some wine. I've got to tell you, I'm just feeling good. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that the people in that day thought that if they could just alter their mental state, it connected them with the world of the gods. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying here? So I'm just saying be careful out there, man. I'm just telling you, you know, you know, when a preacher says something like I just said, I feel that bowing up, you know. People, don't you go there. Don't you go there, old man. <clears throat> I'm just saying. What they wanted to do was alter their mind, alter their mind. Drugs were used in their religious worship, uh, which was connected to witchcraft and magic and other forms of sorcery. I'm just, I'm just telling you what I found in my research. Uh, this sorcery deals with the practice of dealing with evil spirits, magical incantations, and casting spells and charms upon uh, someone using magic potions and drugs of various kinds. Enchantments were used to inflict evil and pain and hatred and suffering and even death on people. And then we've got the witchcraft that's disguised. It's called the New Age Movement. So we stand in the altar, we stand there, and we praise, and then we go out and buy us some crystals because we want to get aligned with the, I don't know what you're getting lined up with, but I hear this talk sometimes from Christians. People say, oh, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I, I love Jesus, man, I love your church, dude dude and uh your church is cool and i love it and man and then i got my crystals over. You, you you know what that is that's a mixture and god don't do mixtures god don't do mixtures there's old hymn we used to sing that had two words in it without alloy the word alloy means a mixture you remember ahab and jezebel back in the old testament ahab and jezebel they didn't, they didn't, um, there was a point in their leadership when they didn't uh, tell people you can't serve Jehovah. Their message was you can serve Jehovah and Baal. You can just mix it all up. And really, you know, when it comes to being uh, politically correct in our day, that sounds so reasonable. Can I just say to you guys, it's an abomination to God. It's an abomination to God to mix. So we got this white witchcraft, and we got Scientology. I just heard Tom Cruise is able to move stuff with his mind now. He's just able to, I, I thought he'd been able to do that for women for a long time, but he's, <laughs> he's able to move like inanimate objects with his mind. And You say, well, you know, I've looked at that Scientology, and I don't think it's that bad. You probably need to talk to his wife. See, white witchcraft and new age and all this garbage, 
people say, well, well, you know, that's not evil though, pastor. I, I've been reading up on that and that's, that's uh, to bring goodness and help people with their health and, you know, get lined up with the, I don't, again, I don't know what they're lining up with, but there's this place in Arizona you can go out in the desert and get lined up, get your front end lined up. I, I don't know <laughs> what that is. Um, but um, they say it's a good thing, man, dude. And it brings goodness and health and love and joy, peace, man, and other blessings. Can I just say this to you today? I don't care what power it is. If it didn't come in from God, it's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. The next one is uh, hatred. I thought that was interesting. Sorcery. And then, you know why I think Paul did that? He's messing with us. Because he knew when we got the sorcery, you'd be like, I ain't up in no sorcery. Man, I'm just, you know, I've got, I don't do this. And then he goes, how about hatred? And you went, <laughs> hatred. These are sins of the flesh that operate in the area of our social relationships, our relationships with others. The word hatred is actually plural here. It means hatreds or hostilities. This word means a lack of regard for other people. It can also mean a bitter dislike or ill will against anyone. It deals with a tendency to hold grudges. Now, I don't even know why I'd be preaching that in the church. We don't have any problem with that. People holding grudges. I stray away because I'm about to go deeper into that one. I love you. I forgive you. I'm not going to ever speak to you. And when we meet in the hallway at the church, I'm going to look at the ground or look around because I don't want to make eye contact with you. But we're all good, brother. <clears throat> no, you're not. Because when you get good with somebody, you can walk right up to them and greet them. You don't have to really fully agree with it. As a matter of fact, you're not going to fully agree. Y'all might be stunned to know this, but Millie actually finds things that I believe that she don't believe like I do about it. It's devastating to me <laughs> to think she would. But I love her and, and greet her in the morning. I say, good morning, and she goes, ah. And... Um, <laughs> Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying we can't disagree. We can disagree, but this thing of being angry and holding it, holding grudges. Hmm. I just feel like I need to just pause right there and let's marinate in that just a little bit. Who are you holding a grudge against today? Who are you holding a grudge against? Who do you... Who do you have in your life that you hope something bad happens to them? And if something bad happens to him, them, you, you're going to be kind of happy about that. Come on. Somebody, there was somebody from Germany watching us, and that little girl sneezed over there. I just want to say Kazunheit, because that's the only German word I know. And welcome our German congregation. Amen. Amen. She's allergic to my sermons. I know that's what it is. Um, it's a desire to, to hurt people or see them suffer, this word hatred. Next word is variance. Variance, let me hurry. <coughs> it means strife. The Greek word is eris. It means fighting or quarreling. Again, none of this ever happens in the church, so I don't even know why I'm bringing it up in here. Um, this word takes the attitude of hatred. Listen to this. This word takes the attitude of hatred and puts it into action. It means conflict, arguing, fighting, not agreeing. Listen, not agreeing when you should. Have you ever, have you ever known somebody who it didn't matter what side you took, you knew they'd go argue with you about it? Don't point at people. Just, you know what the Bible calls that? a contentious spirit. It's just one of the, I've got to tell you, a contentious spirit has just ripped up so many churches. Just ripped up so many churches. A contentious spirit has ripped up so many marriages. 
a contentious spirit has ruined successful businesses. People who just want to argue and take the other side. There's a time to agree. There's a time to agree. And there's a time to say, you know what? You and I may differ on everything else, but I agree with you on that right there. But there are people who can't agree with anybody. They're against stuff just to be against it. Contentious. It's like the... It's like the um, church that was going to buy a chandelier. Have y'all heard about that? And the guy stood up and said, I make a motion, we buy a chandelier. How many of y'all ever been to a church business meeting? Amen. I get you ready for combat right there. <clears throat> hand to hand. That's why, that's why we don't have them. So, so uh, he, said, he said, I make a motion, we buy a chandelier. And the guy who, he's always against everything. Y'all ever known somebody like that in a church? They're just against everything. He got up and said, I'm against that. Pastor said, why? He said, three reasons. Number one, nobody here can spell it. Number two, nobody here knows how to play it. And number three, what we need in this church is some lights. That's a contentious spirit. That's somebody being against something. They don't even know why. You met that guy? Don't point. The next word is jealousy. It comes from the word, Greek word zealous, and we get the word zeal. The word jealousy carries with it the idea of a progression. A progression. And the progression of this jealousy that will rip up a marriage, I'm telling you, it will rip up a marriage. It will rip up a church. Listen, when somebody's kid gets a little more glory up here on the stage than your kid did, don't get upset about that. Your kid's going to get more up there. We deal with jealousy in the church. People get mad because you gave somebody more attention or you mentioned their name. You didn't mention my name. Listen, here's what you ought to do when somebody down here starts to brag on you. You ought to go, stop, stop, because if I get it down here, I'm not going to get it up there. The Bible says if you get your glory down here, you won't get it up there. So you want to say, stop, because God can do way more than you. Don't. I don't want it here. Instead of getting mad about it, Listen, let me tell you, whatever attention you missed down here that you should have got, you're going to get it times whatever up there. So you're going to be all right. Stop being jealous. Stop it. <laughs> Deep thought. All these sins, stop it. Here's my advice. <laughs> but it begins with this progression. It begins with anger. That it, We're talking about jealousy. And this anger is produced by what somebody else has that you want. Jealousy leads to outburst of hostility and uncontrolled temper. Jealousy obviously leads to very serious disputes, dissension, and divisions. Let's go to the next word that's almost just like it. It is the word emulations. It means, it means resentment against a rival. Somebody you perceive to be a rival. You know who I'm talking about. People you, you're in competition with. Your kid's in competition with them, or you're in competition with them business-wise. You're in competition with them income-wise, or you're in competition with them in other ways, and you just know that that little competition is there between you and that person. You've got to be very, very careful with that because it can turn into envy, something very, very damaging. Uh, this word emulations is a resentment toward a person who is enjoying success. It's resentment toward a person who has a perceived advantage that you don't think you have. This emulation is a jealousy added to malice. Hear that. Emulation is jealousy added to malice with intent to do harm. This word emulations is talking about striving to excel at the expense of other people. That, that little saying we have of, uh, I don't care who I step on to get where I want to be. That's what this is. It's just this constant spirit in you that wants to surpass others and outdo others. Some of you men are like that on the road. I've seen you pass me. <laughs> unbridled rivalry listen to this 
unbridled rivalry in religion, unbridled rivalry in business, in society, and other fields of endeavor, emulation, wrath. Let's look at wrath. Wrath means vengeance or punishment as the consequences of great anger. It means fierceness. This is referring to a person who possesses a determined and lasting anger. I got people I get around that tell me the same story almost every time I get around them about how somebody hurt them one time. I want to tell you something. Get in line. We've all been hurt. We've all been hurt. You think, you think holding on to that is really getting it. They don't even know you're holding on to it. You're hurting yourself. Let it go. Stop talking about it. Wrath. Uh, this talks about uh, getting back at someone for a perceived injustice or wrongdoing. It really is revenge. And what did God say about revenge? It is his. The next word is strife. Strife deals with struggling in opposition to some, something or someone. Struggling in opposition to something. Uh, you, um, if your business is trying to go in a direction, you don't like the direction they're going in after the healthy debate has been had and everybody's decided what they want to do, you still don't get on board. You keep fighting it. You can, we see it in the church all the time. And when I say in the church, I don't mean just this church. We see it in the church world all the time. People who go, I'm against that. I can tell you about a church right now. A dear friend of mine pastors this church. And there are three or four people in there who don't like what he's doing. Don't like the way he's leading the church. The church is ready to go. The church is ready to do some things. The church is ready to break loose. But he's got three or four in there who don't like the way he's doing things. And they're stirring up all the trouble they can to keep that church. Man, i tell you something. I'd hate to stand before God with that one right there. I'd hate to stand before God with that one. You say, what if that pastor is wrong? Then you let God deal with him. God can do more with him in five seconds than you can do in five weeks. So this strife, it's talking about, um, it's talking about opposition, warring uh, for superiority or advantage for selfish gain. And it's not talking about... Um, as in playing a healthy sport or a healthy debate or disagreement. Uh, you can have a healthy de debate or a healthy disagreement, but when it becomes flesh, I'm done with it. When flesh gets into it, then I'm done with it. And that when flesh gets into it, uh, what happens is there's this intention to hurt the other person emotionally or hurt them mentally or hurt them physically. So emulations and wrath and strife. The next one is sedition. We're going through them here. Sedition, it means rebellious disorder. The word sedition means just causing trouble, a troublemaker. Just stirring up strife everywhere you go, everywhere you go. Psst, 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 psst. Did you know? Psst, 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 psst. Stirring up strife. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is right in the same list as witchcraft. Matter of fact, we're about to talk about murder. It's in the same list with murder. See, we've got sins kind of kind of uh, categorized. Like the ones we do, they're not as bad. Adultery, fornication, murder, oh, that's a bad ones right there. But these other ones, Pastor, these, these other ones that deal with attitude and all that stuff, I gotta tell you something, man. Those people who committed those sins were Jesus' biggest enemies. The adulterers, and the fornicators came and fell down at his feet. The murderer hung on the cross beside him and wanted forgiveness, and Jesus gladly forgave him. i, I got to tell you, man, these attitudinal sins are deep and, and destructive, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to check us today. Are you all with me? <clears throat> So this sedition means stirring up strife. It means stirring up strife in religion, government, church, at work, home, any other place. Just stirring up trouble. Heresies. 
Heresies deals with division in religious communities. The word itself, heresy, is not evil in and of itself. It simply refers to a doctrinal view or belief that conflicts with the recognized and accepted tenets of a faith or a system or a church or a party. I mean, what I teach here is heresy to some people. It becomes, though, when you let it get in the flesh and the flesh take over without the restraint of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a work of the flesh when the heart, excuse me, when the heart behind the division is to cause trouble. Hurt people or raise oneself up in importance over other people. Heresies, listen carefully to this sentence, Heresies become evil when sound Bible doctrine is rejected and false doctrine is put in its place and preached as truth. Did you hear that? And then envyings. I think it's interesting. Envyings, emulations, and jealousy really are basically the same meaning. You say, well, why did Paul put it three times in the list? Hmm, why do you think? Sounds like to me God's going, hear me on this one. Envyings here is close to the meaning of emulations. It's close to the meaning of jealousy, but it's a little, there are little nuanced differences. The word envyings means a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regard to another's advantages, success, or possessions. Again, carrying with it the idea of ill will, spite, or jealousy. And thinking a person is not worthy of having what they have because you feel you're more deserving. Let me just talk about this one real quick. Have you ever met people who have been greatly blessed? I mean, they're, they're, they got way more than you got. They've got way more land, way more houses, way more nice vehicles, way more stuff than you got. But they're mad all the time and they're miserable all the time. You know why? If you'll get to talking to them about it enough, they can't even enjoy what they've been blessed with because they're so worried some guy down the road's got one more dollar than they have. Let me tell you something, man. You go home, look at your stuff, and lift your hands to heaven and go, thank you, Jesus, that I don't live in Iran or Afghanistan or I don't live in, in uh, Haiti or some third world country. Every one of you sitting here and and I know you could give me some stories today of, of loss in your life and financial stress, but I want to tell you something. The, the poorest person in this room right now would be rich in, many, in most countries in the world today. And we need to learn to be thankful. We need to learn to be contented. So let's look at uh, murders. You say, thank goodness, I ain't killed anybody. Murders, it's the intentional killing of another human being. When you deal with thou shalt not kill in the Ten Commandments, that Hebrew there actually deals with the very thoughts of, of wishing someone was dead or having thoughts like that. This word actually deals with killing a person. Now, I, I've already, I've already uh, got myself kind of out there uh, today saying some things that have probably kind of shook your world, but I'm probably going to shake it again right here. Um, when I think about murder and the intentional killing of another human being, and then as I look deeper into the Greek word there for murder, it includes being involved in a murder. Even if you're not directly responsible for the murder, you're involved in a murder, and it just makes me think about abortion. And um, it makes me think about women who maybe didn't want one, but a man pressured and pressured and pressured and pressured. Is it all right to preach like this? And I think about the people who are involved in doing them. And I think about, and you might be here today, and you're one of the people who pressured somebody to get an abortion, if you did, you need to repent. If you're here today and you've had an abortion, I want to tell you Jesus loves you, but you need to repent of that. 
If you're here today and you've been a part of some medical team or you've been a part of some organization that pushes abortion or, or encourages abortion or has been a part of something that has brought about an abortion, I'm telling you guys, I know this. most people hearing this kind of preaching today would think I have lost my mind and I am off my rocker. But I want to tell you something. When I read that word right there in the word of God and I dig into that word, it includes people who are just connected to murder. And I want to tell you, I'm not, here to, I'm not here to make you go away weeping and crying and feeling like God doesn't love you. God does love you, and God is the God of a second chance, a tenth chance, a fiftieth chance. Amen. The people said amen. But you've got you to gotta accept that act for what it is, and you've got to come to God for repentance and let him wash that sin away. You can't keep going around justifying it. It's quiet in here now, boy. Let me just end with drunkenness and revelings. <laughs> drunkenness. Is intoxication, intoxication from the use of alcohol, but can be used, can be, uh, but can include rather any mind-altering substance. Excessive drinking or drug use to the point that you diminish or even lose good judgment and self-control. That's what drunkenness is. It means you have lost good judgment and control. Uh, uh, abuse uh, of any mind-altering substance is widely known as the fast track to self-destruction, isn't it? deeply hurts the person who's engaged in it and it deeply hurts the family and the people who love them and the church said and then finally revelings this means partying partying carousing indulging in boisterous festivities for no apparent reason it means letting loose of your inhibitions Letting loose of your good judgment. Just, just uh, keeping yourself together for work and keeping yourself together, but having a plan in your mind that I'm going to a party and when I get there, I'm going wild. I'm going to go wild. It means getting rowdy or going, to, going into a drunken rampage. In that day, this dealt with public orgies, which were also a part of their ancient religions. Isn't it amazing how they tied illicit sex and drug use to their religion so they would have permission to do it? I'm, this is where the flesh will take people. When the flesh is not controlled by the Holy Spirit, I'm not saying that's where you'll go. I'm just saying the potential to go there. Now, some of you are sitting here going, Whew, I kind of checked that list off. I think I'm good. I didn't see really anything there. Well, the next slide's for you and such like. Because <laughs> that's what Paul said. <laughs> so, we got you. Because <laughs> got me, all of us. Listen, there's no, there is no telling where Pharaoh Hardison could go if I wasn't restrained by the Holy Spirit. Y'all look real holy when I said that. There's no telling where our flesh will take us. Look at the next slide. He says that those who do the things in this list will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. Go to the next slide. 1 John 3, 6 says, whoever abides in Christ, whoever abides in the Lord does not. So y'all pretty messed up, aren't you? So if you're a Christian, you do not. That's hard to say, isn't it? That's hard to say. I'm tell you why it's hard to say, because you do. You say, what does this verse mean then? I'm going to tell you in just a minute. Whosoever sins, sup. Whosoever sins has neither seen him nor. You go, all right, wow, thought I was a Christian. 
How many of y'all sin? How many of y'all stumble? How many of y'all fall? How many of y'all mess up? Well, the Bible says if you know him, you won't. You won't sin. Let me tell you what that means. Now, I'm not going to go into the depth of it here, and I'm not going to go into all the tenses and all of that. You've got to do your own study on that, but I'm going to tell you what it means. What it means is if you can practice sin as a lifestyle and there's no restraint of the Spirit, because the Bible says if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Spirit is in you. As a matter of fact, it's in Romans 8 and 9. It says, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, then he is none of his. In other words, when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God comes into you. And so therefore, when you because when we get saved, all things become, old things are passed away. And so, so um, um, he, he tells us here that, that when we have the Spirit of God in us through the new birth, when we got saved, that means if we're playing the game of life and we're walking in the Spirit and we step out of bounds, what have I taught you about this? The Holy Spirit is like a what? A referee is like, a, like a, an umpire, and he has a whistle, and he will blow that whistle on you. How many of you, when you step out of bounds in the way you treat your wife, you step out of bounds in the way you did something at work, you step out of bounds in the way you did something with your kid, you step out of bounds and looking at something you shouldn't? or hear, How many of you hear the whistle? I hear the whistle. That means you're one of God's children. That means you're a Christian. Now, if I can practice those sins and not hear the whistle, then I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God because it means the Spirit of God's not in me. I'm not a child of God. Y'all with me? So don't, don't read those scriptures without doing your due diligence. And Mike Moss said, Amen. You've got to do your due diligence. You've got to do your study. You've got to do your Bible study or you'll run across the verse in the King James Version that will throw you for a loop and you've got to dig down in there and find out what that thing means or the enemy will use it to bring condemnation in your life. I love the whistle. I love the whistle. Matter of fact, if you're stepping out of bounds and you're not hearing the whistle, that's bad news for you. Let me close with this. How many of you believe David in the Old Testament was a Christian in the sense of an Old Testament Christian? Absolutely. I mean, we know that. He said, the Bible says David was a man, what? After God's own heart. But David was very, very, very successful. And how many of you understand that success sometimes can be your worst enemy? Because when you have a bunch of success in your life, if you're not real careful, you start to trust yourself. You start to trust your flesh. You start to drift from trusting the Spirit to trusting your flesh. And that's exactly what happened to David. So there's a battle to be fought, and David is a warrior. David is a military genius. He is a warrior. But he had won so many battles and probably had not even had to fight in a lot of them. He would just go to the place of the battle. He would organize his men, send them forth. They'd win the battle, come back to him, and they'd all go back to the palace. So it comes time to fight a battle one day, and they say, David, we have to go. There's an uprising. We have to go fight this battle. And so they say, come on, let's go. And David goes, you know what, guys? I'm not going to go this time. I th we've been winning so many battles. i got to tell you, you guys don't need me. Let me tell you what David was, lazy. Can I tell you, lazy is a sin? Lazy is a sin. Now, that's hard to say amen to, but lazy is a sin. And we, we are seeing a system developed in the world today where you're being almost rewarded more for being lazy than you are for working. Can I preach? You say, well, you know, I mean, I'd get a job, but the system pays me more than if I go get a job. Well, then stop looking at the system and look at your Bible. Because your Bible says if a man don't work, he don't go to Bojangles. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what I believe. And I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here. And I know there are people going through much rougher times than I've ever gone through. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're an able-bodied person, 
If you don't have a job, you ought to be looking for one every day. You ought to be looking for one every day. You ought to be praying. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the king. The Bible says God's seed never begs bread. You're a child of the king. You ought to be looking for a job every single day. Now, I don't, I'm not saying you ought not to take unemployment. I'm not saying you ought not to get some food stamp help or whatever you got, but that's temporary. That's not a lifestyle. And you rise up out of that and you go, you know what? If I got on the, if I got on the handout program, I'd make $100 more a month than if I go down here to Burger King and get a job. You know what you ought to do? You ought to go to work at Burger King because it's good for you. It's good for you to get up every morning and go to work. I'm trying to make everybody mad before I finish preaching today. <laughs> I think I've got two or three here that aren't mad, and I want to just keep on to make everybody mad. Because here's what I believe, Pharaoh Hardison chapter 4, verse 8, but I believe it bears out in Scripture. I believe when God looks down and sees a man who's willing to roll up his sleeves and work, even step down and lower himself to say, you know what, i got mouths to feed. I want my children to see an example of a working man in me. I'm a child of God. I'm going to go take that job at, at uh, wherever, pay a minimum wage or whatever it's paying. I'm going to work. You know what I believe? I believe God will look down and he will honor that and open doors for you. Listen, listen. Listen, he'll open doors for you that he will not open for you if you go sit home flicking that TV. That's good stuff right there. We're children of the king. We're children of the king. And we need, we need to act like it. So David got lazy. You know, um, you let a man's belly stick to his backbone, he'll go to work. <clears throat> Manual labor is not a Mexican evangelist. <laughs> hey, some people ain't wrote nothing down, but they wrote that down right there when I said that. <laughs> so David didn't go to work. So he's home laying in his big chair looking at his 60-inch watching some Olympics. And he decides he'll get up and walk out on the back deck. Sees a woman taking a bath and laziness led to lust. When you're lazy in your walk with God, it will lead to deeper sins. Well, he saw her. He knew he's a king. He can have anybody he wants. Now, he, there were a lot of women available to him. David had uh, concubines, cucumber vines, concubines. David had it all, had anything he wanted. So David's lazy, walks out on the back deck, the veranda, looks out, sees a woman taking a bath, calls her to himself, laziness, becomes lust, lust becomes adultery. He really likes her a whole lot, so he decides he wants to rid her of her husband. Now, her husband is somebody who would die for David. Her husband is somebody who no doubt has shed blood for him, has been wounded for him, who was, who was loyal to David. If he had come into the presence of David, he would have fallen down at David's feet. David disrespected that kind of loyalty cried out for him to be left alone on the hottest line of battle. David might as well have stabbed him himself. Lazy. Turned to lust and lust turned to adultery. And adultery turned to murder. It's called the progression of sin. And when you let your flesh rule in your life, there's no telling where you're going to end up. And you can leave this sanctuary today and you can be as mad as you want to at me, but I'm telling you right now, you have been warned in this house today that your flesh will rule you if you don't seek the immersion of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you don't seek to be filled, if you don't seek to be saturated, if you don't seek to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, your flesh will rule you and take you where you never thought you'd go and you'll stay a lot longer than you thought you would stay and you will pay a price much bigger than you ever thought you would pay. Consider yourself warned. 
that warning first before I gave it to you from the word of God. God gave it to me for myself and my family. Farrell Hardison stands here today forewarned. If you let your flesh go without the restraint of the loving Holy Spirit of God, you will fall into pits deeper and darker and more painful than you ever dreamed you could. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill this room, fill this house, fill this place, fill every believer. If there's a man or a woman here in this building today who does not know you, I pray that they will say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I've been running from you, Jesus. You've been calling me. I've heard your voice. I've heard the Spirit calling me. And I've, re I've rebelled and I've talked about hypocrites in the church and I've used every excuse I know. But, but today I want to get my eyes on you and I want to get my life right with you. You died on the cross for me. I know you did. You died in my place. Thank you for that. You rose from the dead to give me life. And Lord Jesus, if you will have me, here I am. I trust you for salvation. I trust you, Lord Jesus, to save my soul today. I trust you, Jesus, to wash my sins away and take up residence in my heart. I trust you, Jesus, adopt me. I'm an orphan. I'm an orphan. I have no father. Adopt me, Jesus. I'm out here alone. I'm out here by myself. I'm out here in this world depending on my flesh. I need to be adopted into the family of God today. Adopt me, Jesus. And he will. You Christians out there, and you know you're playing around. You know you're playing games. You know you're playing with the world. and It's like playing with a rattlesnake. If you have a pet rattlesnake and you play with him long enough, he's going to bite you. And if you keep playing with the flesh and you say, well, other people might have that problem with their flesh, but I don't have that problem with my flesh. I get in the flesh and I'm okay and I'm in the spirit some. Listen, God's calling you to full devotion to a spirit-filled life. Walk in the spirit and your flesh cannot take you over. Will you stumble? Yes. Will you fall? Yes. Will you hear the whistle blown on you? Yes. But the, whole, but the flesh will not be able to take you over if you rise up every morning and say, Today I'll walk in the Spirit. My eyes are on Jesus. My eyes are on His Word. Because I know the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I know he seeks to devour me through the lust of my flesh. So I walk in the Spirit today. Father, let this word be in us. Let us marinate in this truth. Oh, I couldn't even sleep last night. Couldn't sleep. Because I knew what I had to preach today. And I lay in the bed till 2, 2.30, and I finally went to sleep, and then I woke up at 4 and couldn't go back. Let the people hear the word of the Lord today. Let me hear it. Let me hear it for my own life, God. I'm no better than any other person here. Let us hear the word of the Lord and let us be warned. I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.